morning. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, but those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Thank you, Clara. Well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans. And so if you're new with us, we've been here um, over the last um, eight months, nine months or so, just kind of working our way through this book. And this morning we find ourselves here in Romans chapter 13. And so this is one of those passages, um, especially in the context in which we're at, um, within just Um, our culture and the country in which we live that really doesn't need much of an introduction. Um, Usually I try and spend the first five or seven, eight minutes of my sermon trying to explain and convince you why why the passage that I'm about to preach is relevant for your lives so you don't just tune out like when the first few minutes, but trying to show you, hey, this is relevant, you need to hear this. Well, I don't really think that this passage this morning needs probably much of an introduction. I think it's pretty obvious in many ways uh, the ways in which this passage is relevant for all of our lives. Like we, we just got through a couple months ago with a pretty contentious presidential election. Um, the Capitol was stormed by, by an angry mob. We have two political parties uh, that are literally at many times at war with one another. We've been through two impeachment hearings We've seen government authorities in different ways abuse their power in different ways. We've seen riots in the streets and police stations burned down and all sorts of other things. And so I don't care necessarily which, like, which way you lean politically. I think all of us would have to agree that, that our government is broken and our government is, is fallen. And the reason for that is because it's, represented and consists of broken and and fallen people. But the question that our passage is going to answer for us this morning is is this. How are we as Christians then supposed to live and relate to a broken and fallen government? I mean, that's the question. How are we to think about, as Christians, how are we to think about the governing authorities and relate to the governing authorities that God, has, that God has placed over us. And like this is a huge question that we need to answer, right? Like this is a relevant question for all of us. 
Because if we take the cues from our culture when it comes to this question, then, then we're going to be in a world of hurt and in a, in a mess. Because the reality is, and, and I don't think y'all need to, I, don't, I need to tell any of us this, but like we, we've lost our minds. Like if you, if you look at just the way that people relate to, respond to the governing authorities in the, in the world and in, in the country in which we live, we have literally lost our minds. Literally. Like on one extreme, it's idolatry, right? It's, it's worship. It's, it's the government, the president, the elected officials are the savior, and we look to them to be and do for us what only God in Christ was meant to be and do for us. While on the other extreme, it's just nonstop anger, nonstop fear, and a whole host of other things that come as a result of that. Those are the cues from the culture in which we live. But the question then is how are we as Christians supposed to respond to, relate to, live with the governing authorities in the country in which God has placed us? And so I believe this passage is extremely relevant. In many ways it's a passage that I've wanted to preach a number of months ago for us here. But trusting God's timing that we would get to Romans 13 when he wanted us to. Well, here, here we are. And my, my prayer is this. I, I pray that as a result of going through this passage this morning, it would do a couple things. Number one, it would bring some much-needed sanity to this whole idea of, of government and our relationship to the government and all of that that's going on within our culture. And then secondly, it would provide some biblical instruction for us, some much-needed biblical instruction for us in terms of our understanding of how of what the government is, of what God designed the government for, of how we're to view the government, and how as Christians we're to relate to and respond to the government. And so the way we're going to do this is, is kind of a little bit different than the way we normally do it. Instead of kind of working consecutively through, kind of verse by verse through this passage of Scripture, we're going to go through it more, I guess, thematically. In other words, we're going to start by just looking at the two major themes that we see within this passage. And the two major themes are this. The first major theme is God's design for government. Meaning, why did God create the government? Why did God establish and institute the government? Why in the world is the government here to begin with? And what's God's plan and purpose for the government? After we lay that, after we lay that foundation then, we're going to ask the question then, okay, if this is God's design for the government, God's primary purpose for the government, then how are we as Christians supposed to relate to the government? And so those are the two primary themes we're going to see throughout this passage of Scripture. So for, the first theme is this, and you see that all this on your hand out there, God's design for government. What is God's design, God's ultimate purpose for government? Well, in answering that question, we have to, we're going to see that, that Paul answers that question with two specific truths. And the first truth we have to know that he, that he explains here is, is this. It's that the government has been instituted by God. The government has been instituted by God. So this is the very first point Paul makes there in verse 1. Look there with me. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God... And those that exist have been instituted by God. 
So that I want us to, to focus here on that second sentence there in verse 1 there, right? There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. What, what Paul's saying here is that God is the ultimate authority. He and he alone is the ultimate authority. Every other authority that exists in this world is derived authority. It receives its authority from God. It's delegated authority that God delegates to them um, in, in, in this world. And so that, that's the human government. That's the government that, that we have. That the government we have wasn't man's idea. Man didn't just suddenly wake up one night and think, huh, let's, let's do government. Let's, let's put into this whole idea of, of government. Instead, God created the government. God, the government is God's idea. God's the one who established and instituted the government. But what Paul's saying here is a whole lot more than just that. That God didn't just divinely ordain and institute the government. Instead, he also appoints and ordains the specific rulers and the specific officials which make up the government. That, that's what that word instituted there in verse 1 means. It means to appoint. It means to ordain. It means to set something or someone in place. What that means then is this, and this is really important, that every king, every queen, every prince, every president, every governor, every mayor, every judge, and every other governing official is in their role because God has sovereignly appointed them and placed them there. Like that's true of every president from George Washington all the way to Joe Biden and every other president in between. It's the, tr it's the same truth for the governor of Kansas, the same truth for the governor of Missouri and every other ruler and every other king and every governing official that has an office in the, in, in the government. They are there. This is divine sovereignty, right? And man's responsibility, right? They are there ultimately there because the one with power and authority over all things, namely God, has ordained and instituted and placed them there. And this is the pattern we see all throughout Scripture. We see it with Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9. We see it with King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. We see it with Pontius Pilate in John chapter 19. And we see it over and over and over and over Again, yes, in America, we vote. Human responsibility. But God in his divine sovereignty is the one who sets up rulers and is the one who removes rulers from their office. That every governing official has been placed there and appointed there by God himself. Which then leads to this question, why? Why? Like if God has instituted the government and appointed all the governing officials that, that make up the government, then what's his purpose in doing that? Why did he create the government? Why did he establish the system of government? Why does he appoint specific individuals to serve specific roles and offices within the government? Or better yet, why does government even exist? Well, here's the answer. You see it on your hand out there. 
that God instituted the government to be his servant here on earth. To be his servant here on earth. Now I know at first glance you might hear that and you're like, that sounds weird, right? Like there's a lot of words that you might use to describe the government. We're not going to go around and poll everybody because that would not be wise or beneficial. But there's a lot of words. Like if I went around and said, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of government? I'm pretty sure the first word that would come to most of your minds would not be servant. But that is exactly why God created and established the government to be his servant. And I'm not just making this stuff up. Like, look at this is what Paul says in verse 3 and verse 4. Look there with me. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Here it comes. For he is God's servant. You know who the he there is, is a reference to? It's a reference to the governing authorities. Then he goes on, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he, the governing authority, does not bear the sword in vain. For he, the governing authority, is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So two times within those two verses, Paul uses the same exact word to describe why God has instituted the government. He has instituted the government to be his servant here in this world. That, that's, that's why. That is the ultimate purpose and the ultimate reason for why God established and instituted the government. It's so that the government could serve God and be his servant here on this earth. Which then begs this question, how? How? How does the government serve God? How is the government, how does the government function as a servant of God in this world? How? What, what does that look like? Well, here's how, and you see this on your handout. The government functions as a servant of God by prohibiting and punishing that which is evil and promoting and praising that which is good. Catch that. That's the primary function. That's the primary role of the government and why the government exists. The government is the means by which God restrains and punishes evil in this world and praises and promotes that which is good. Now catch this, the government may do a whole lot of other things, and I'll let y'all debate all that, but the government must do those two things. That's why the government exists. And that's why God created government. That, and that's the whole point Paul's making there, right? In verse 3 and verse 4. Look there again with me in verse 3. Paul says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. So do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying that the fear of being punished by the government leads to and promotes what? Good behavior. Which makes sense, right? If you know you're going to be put in prison, if you steal a car, or if you physically assault somebody, then it's probably going to cut down 
on the number of people who steal cars and physically assault people. That's the role of the government. The threat of being punished by the government leads to and promotes good behavior. But if you don't do good and instead do evil, then look what Paul goes on to say there in verse 4. He says, but if you do wrong, be afraid. And here's why. For he, talking about the government here, does not bear the sword in vain. For he, again the government, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. In other words, the government has the same role as Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Black Panther. For some of y'all that just went, that's, that's the role of the government. The government is an avenger who carries out God's wrath against those who do evil. In other words, the government is the means by which God avenges evil here on earth. The government is the means by which God carries out his wrath, his judgment, his punishment against evildoers here in this world. And so that's the whole meaning of this word sword there in verse 4. That the word sword is 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 a metaphor for punishment. And so then for lesser crimes that punishment would be something like a a fine or imprisonment. But for more serious crimes, like like murder, then the sword here could be a literal sword, meaning capital punishment, which would fit with what God said all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, when he said that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. But here's the whole point. This is why God established and instituted the government. The government is to be God's servant, is to be God's avenger. The government is the means by which God carries out his wrath against evildoers here in this world and thereby punishes evil and promotes that which is good. The government may do a whole host of other things, but the government must do these two things. It's why God established it and created it in the first place. So here's the question. Trying to get really practical here for just a second. If this is God's design and purpose for the government, then then how should the reality of this then affect our view and our understanding of the government? Does that make sense? Here here are five, I've listed on your hand, there are five implications, five ways that our view and understanding of the government should be affected by everything that we just, everything that we just talked about. And the first way it should affect our, our view and understand the government is, is this, is that it should help us to see that the government is a sacred and holy institution. And I know in hearing that, you might laugh. And you might think, Pfft. but that's Bible. The government is a sacred and holy institution. That the government is God's servant. The government is God's avenger. The government is instituted by God to serve a unique and specific role that he has set apart specifically for them. And that is to avenge evildoers and carry out his wrath in this world. 
And the reality of that means that the, the role of the government, the government, that's a high and holy calling. It's a sacred institution to carry out a sacred function that is uniquely designed for the government. Secondly then, as we understand this whole idea of God's design and God's purpose for government, it helps us to see then the difference between what God has ordained individuals to do and what God has ordained governments to do. And this is really important to to grasp here. So we've seen it in verses 3 and 4 here. God has given the government the primary role and responsibility to avenge evil and carry out his wrath against evildoers here in this world. But here's the distinction. He hasn't given that responsibility to you. And he hasn't given that responsibility to me. He hasn't given that responsibility to individuals. He's given that responsibility to the government. And this relates back to what we saw last week. Do you remember when Jared was preaching in Romans chapter 12, verse 19? You might want to look there real quick. He says, he tells individuals, he tells us, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so then as individuals, we aren't to take matters into our own hands and retaliate and seek out vengeance and retribution against against evildoers. Instead, we leave that to God. Vengeance is his, says the Lord. He's to carry out his his wrath. But here's the kicker. He's ultimately going to do that at the final judgment. But the way that he has ordained to do that in the here and now is through the government. That the government is the means, God-ordained means, by which he seeks vengeance and carries out his wrath against evildoers who harm and mistreat us in the here and now. That's not your role as an individual. That's the government's role that God has instituted and made to be his servant. Which then leads to this third implication, which is this. Understanding God's purpose and design for government should inform how we vote. And like this is kind of a no-brainer, right? Like if the role of government is to restrain and punish evil and to promote and praise that which is good, then we should vote for candidates and officials who know the difference between right and wrong, and who know the difference between good and evil, and will, who will uphold, uh, will uphold righteousness and punish evil and promote that which is good. If this is the role of the government, then we should vote for people who know how to carry out those roles. Pretty, pretty simple. Which then leads to the fourth, fourth implication, which is this. Understanding God's purpose and design for government helps us to understand the distinct roles of church and state. This could be like a month-long sermon in and of itself that is going to come to you in 45 seconds. But here's what I mean by that. The church and the government are two distinct institutions that God has instituted and established for different reasons and therefore have different purposes. As a result, what that means is, is that the church isn't to try and be the government and the government isn't supposed to try and be the church. Instead, each 
Each institution has specific, unique roles and functions and purposes that God has given to them and for why God has created them. And so practically what that means then is that, is that the church then, our role is to share the gospel. It's to make disciples. It's to baptize believers. It's to care for one another, love our neighbor, worship together, preach and pray, yada, yada, yada. That's the role, the responsibility of the church. The role of the government then is to bear the sword and restrain and punish evildoers and uphold righteousness and promote and praise that which is good in order to maintain a peaceful and orderly society. What that means then is that if, a, if as a church, if a member within our church commits a crime, then the church isn't supposed to say, we'll handle this. That's not our role. We don't bear the sword. That's the role of the government. That's why God has instituted the government. At the same time, though, the government's role isn't to pass laws which require people to worship Jesus or pass laws which require people to go to church or pass laws which require people to pray and be baptized and read the Bible and evangelize and a whole host of all those things. That's not the role of the government. That's the role of the church. And it's important as, as you begin to try and think through the role of the church and the role of government and why God has instituted each of these different institutions to be able to distinguish between each of the, the purposes and the role that each of them have. And the reason it's important is because is it helps us as a church not to look to the government to be and do things that they were never meant to be and do, which I believe the church can do a lot. At the same time, the church isn't to look to the, the government. Uh, I mean, the, the government isn't look to look to the church uh, to be and, and do for thing, them things that we were never meant to be and do as well, which then leads to this fifth implication, which is this. In order for a government to function according to God's design, the government must have a correct understanding of morality, of right and wrong, good and evil, as defined by God. Like that, that's pretty obvious, I hope, that if the government is to restrain and punish evil and to promote and praise that which is good, then the government better understand what good is and what evil is. It's pretty simple. Because the moment that the government begins to call good evil and call evil good, and the moment that the government begins to punish good and praise that which evil, praise that which is evil, then the government fails in the responsibility that they've been given as God's servant to avenge evildoers and to carry out his wrath against those who do wrong. Which, in many ways, and I'm not just talking about 2021, I'm, I'm talking about for years now, this is what should break our hearts when it comes to our government, is because so much of what our government has done for, for many years now is to call evil good and to call good evil. So all this then leads to this question. If that's God's design for government, right there, He's instituted, created, established government via his servant to carry out his wrath, punish evildoers, and promote that which is good. 
then how then should we as Christians relate to and, and respond to and live in relationship to the government that God, is, that God has placed in our country today? Well, that's what we're going to see in the rest of this passage. What Paul's going to do is he's going to show us four different ways that we as Christians are relate to the government in the, in the context in which we live today. And the first way is, is this, is that we're to submit to the government. We're to submit to the government. And this is what Paul goes on to say there in verse 5. Look there with me. He says, therefore, meaning in light of everything I just said in verses 1 through 4, how God has instituted the governing authorities to be his servant and the role that he's given them to punish evildoers and praise that which is good. In light of all that, here's how we're to respond. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Meaning in subjection to the government. And that word subjection means to place yourself under. To place yourself under the laws, place yourself under the legislations, place yourself under under the authority, the governing authority of the, the government. And this is just a restatement, right? I skipped over it earlier, but this is just a restatement of what Paul said earlier there in verse 1, when he said, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's how we as Christians are to respond to the government. And that makes sense, right? The one who has ultimate authority, the one that we worship, has established an instituted government to be his servant here on earth, to avenge evildoers and to carry out his wrath, punish evil, promote that which is good. And therefore, as Christians, we then, our role then, of how we should respond to this institution that God has sovereignly instituted, is to submit ourselves to the government. Because... If we fail to do that, if we fail to submit to the government, then we're failing to submit to the one who has established the government and appointed the leaders in the government who are over us. And that, that's what Paul says there in verse 2. Look there with me. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Paul's saying here is that if we resist the government, we're resisting God because God's the one who's instituted and appointed the government. And the rest of verse 5 then, what he does is he goes on to explain, kind of summarizes a couple reasons for why we're submit to the government. Look there with me at the rest of verse 5. He says, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And this is basically a summary of the two reasons that he just gave in verses 1 through 4 is that in our conscience we know that God has instituted the government and therefore we should live in subjection to the government. So here's the deal. At this point, people begin to raise their hands and ask, is this an absolute command? Like, aren't there exceptions here? Like, are, are you saying like, it, all the time, in every way, no matter what, we're supposed to submit to and live in subjection to the government. Well, yeah, there are exceptions, and we'll get to that in just a minute, okay? But here's what I'm more concerned about. Like, before we're asking about, are there exceptions? Like, it's really important we feel the weight of this. 
Like if we just want to jump straight from submits to the government, yeah, but are there exceptions? What's that say about our hearts? It says we don't like to submit. And so I want us to feel this, like really feel this, the, the weight of what Paul is saying here before we just try and figure out holes and ways of escape out of this. Literally hear this and, and feel this for a moment. Especially considering the fact that, that when Paul issues this command, the government that, that exists then, like we're talking about a bloody Christian-hating emperor by the name of Nero. We're talking about 20 years earlier, crucified Jesus. Like our government pales in comparison to the evil of all that. And that's really important to understand. But even in the midst of all that and the wickedness and the evilness of killing Jesus and and. What later is going to happen in terms of the persecution of Christians and the debauchery and the evil in the world then? What's going on now? I didn't even hold a candle to that. And he still issues this command and exhortation to submit to the government. And so then let me ask you is this your heart posture? Oh, this just jarred me all week, just in my own life. Oh, hard, like bad, like, oh, Lord, don't expose this in my heart. But how are you doing when it comes to submitting to the governing authorities? Like, is this the default starting point heart posture in your heart? Is it one of submission? of willingly placing yourself under the authority of the government. God, thinking, it's your servant. You've instituted this. To avenge evil, carry out your, all those reasons. And therefore, I'm going to place myself underneath. If not, like, why? Why not? I mean that. Like, literally, let's do some hard surgery like what's going on in your heart how much pride is in your heart how much are you holding on to your just freedoms and liberties and nobody's gonna get in the way it's a question we have to ask ourselves before we just scurry on and look at all the exit all the exceptions. In saying that though, there, is, there, are ex- there are exceptions. When it comes to this command to submit ourselves to the governing authorities, it doesn't mean always at every time, no matter what. So let me clarify this real quick. Here, here's what, and this is on your handout, but here's, here's what Paul means, and I'm, I try to contextualize this for our context but what he means by submission. What he means and what he doesn't mean. Mostly what he doesn't mean by this this dirty S word, right? Submission. Submission doesn't mean you always agree with the government. 
It's not what it means to submit to the government, that you always agree, no matter what, no matter, no matter what, you just, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. It's not what submission means. Submission doesn't mean you have to stay silent about the government. It doesn't mean you have to say, stay silent about the government, especially true within the context of the country in which we live, right? We have avenues in which we can voice our beliefs and concerns about certain policies, certain issues, and, and a whole host of things. And so, yes, it's okay, it's good to voice our concerns about the government. Let me just say, say this. In, in this way, like the church serves as a prophetic voice to the government. The church is the conscience of the government. The government's role is to punish evil and promote that which is good. And the church is a prophetic voice. The conscience of the government is to continually remind the government of what is good and what is evil. The two work together. And so submission doesn't mean you have to stay silent about the government. And then lastly, submission doesn't mean you must sin if the government tells you to do so. In other words, here, here's an easy way to think about this. And this is on your hand out there. But if the government prohibits something God commands or commands something God prohibits, then we are to obey God, not the government. Let me say that again. If the government prohibits something God commands, or commands something God prohibits, then we are to obey God, not the government. And again, this is the pattern that we see all throughout Scripture, all over the place. Exodus chapter 1, Hebrews, Hebrew uh, midwives disobeyed Pharaoh's commands, command to, to kill all the newborn baby boys. That was the right thing to do. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobeyed King Nebuchadnezzar when he commanded them to worship his golden image. That was the right thing to do. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, Peter and John disobeyed the Jewish authorities when they told them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. That was the right thing to do. But this is the line in the sand for us as Christians. If the government forbids something God commands or commands something God forbids, then we must obey God, not the government. Like we, we might have a whole host of other differences, many differences of opinion with the government on a whole host of other things. But if the government is not commanding us to sin or prohibiting us from living in obedience to the Lord, then we're to humbly submit to the governing authorities that God has instituted over us as his servant. So that's the first way to respond. Second way to respond to the government is this. We're to pay taxes to the government. We're to pay taxes to the government. This is what Paul goes on to say there in verse 6. Look there with me. He says, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to him what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. The revenue here, that specific word here, is a reference to the custom tax or the, or the toll tax that was paid when a person crossed from a city to another city um, in Paul's day. But do you see what he's saying? The IRS, catch, catch this, is a minister of God. It is. Whether you like it or not. 
And let me say this, and we won't get into all this, but the, the percentage of taxes that they had to pay in Paul's day com compared to what we have to pay in our day pales in comparison. A whole lot more than anything that any of us in this room have to pay. Jesus said the same thing, though, didn't he? Mark chapter 12, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Which again, at this point in time, hands... But, uh, uh, and there's a, one good question here that I think does need to be asked and is a really good question when it comes to paying our taxes. But what if the government uses our tax money on things that are evil, wicked, and wrong? It's okay to withhold our, our, our taxes then, right? We, we shouldn't pay our taxes then, right? Because if we pay it, then we're just funding abortion, or we're just funding this, or we're just funding this evil or, or this wickedness. So because of that, we don't want to fund that, and so it's okay we don't pay our taxes then, right? That's a really good question, and that should promote something in all of our hearts like this tension and struggle about, about this whole idea of, of taxes, but again, just think about the context, historical context in which Jesus and Paul gave these exhortations and these commands. Like the tax money Jesus told his disciples to pay to the government, the government used that money to kill Jesus. The, the tax money that Paul told the church at Rome to pay was used to fund all sorts of debauchery and evil and wickedness and ultimately persecution and killing a whole host of Christians. And so then here, here's a good way to, to think about or to answer this question. God will hold us responsible for paying taxes. That's our, that's our duty. That is what is owed to God's servant, the government, his minister. At the same time, God's going to hold the government responsible for how they use the money that we've paid to them. Holds us responsible for paying it. He's going to hold them responsible for how they use it. Which then leads to this third way we're supposed to respond and relate to the government. We're almost done. Third way is this. We're to honor and respect those in the government. We're to honor and respect those in the government. It's what Paul goes on to say in verse 7 there, look there with me. He's continuing to explain what we owe to the government. What we owe to the government. He says, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. What that means is, and we see the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, but what that means is we, we, don't have to, we don't have to agree on everything that our government does. This doesn't mean that we, that, we re, that we have to remain silent and never voice our concerns. That's what I talked about earlier. When we, when we have problems and uh, concerns and beliefs about policies and issues that we don't agree with when it comes to the government. But what this does mean, and this is really, really important, especially in a social media culture. We're to voice our concerns and talk about our governing authorities in a way that is respectful and honoring to them. But you say, they don't deserve my respect. They don't deserve my honor. Look at how they act. 
Look at, all they've, look at what all they've done. And a lot of that is true, right? They don't deserve it. But at the same time, whether they realize it or not, and whether you realize it or not, they're servants of God. God has appointed them. And because of that, then, we're to honor their position, even if their policies and their behavior are dishonorable. And again, this is especially true when it comes to social media culture. We just, you wonder where all my hair went? Reading Facebook and Twitter. Which then leads to the fourth and, and final way we're supposed to respond to the government, which is this. And we're going to close with this. We're to let the imperfections of our current earthly government cause us to long for the coming of the perfect heavenly government of Christ. Let's end here. As I was studying this passage all week long, I couldn't be, I couldn't just be, just, just be honest with you, just heartbroken when it comes to the, 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 the all that's happening within the, the government, all that's been happening with a number of years within the government in which we live. Again, you, you don't have to, me to tell you, but, but we live in a, in, a, in a government which is broken and fallen and so far from what God originally designed for the government to be. Like in so many cases that instead of punishing evil and promoting that which is good, our government has begun to punish that which is good and promote that which is evil. Instead of upholding righteousness, upholding justice, our government at times will uphold unrighteousness and uphold injustice. And like as you think about just the design, what God instituted the government for to be his servant and to punish evil and promote that which is good, and then you see so much of what is going on in our government today, like the rally, it should just break our hearts. Like it's not, it's not functioning the way that God designed it. There's imperfections, there's injustice, there's it's twisted and been distorted and corrupted. This good gift, this sacred, holy institution that God has placed on this earth for a purpose and for a reason. It's been distorted and twisted and manipulated in all these different ways. And it should literally just break our hearts and it should cause some of you like to get involved in the government. That's a whole another issue, but... At the same time, what it should remind us of as we see the brokenness and the fallenness of the government in which we live, it should remind us that it's not always going to be this way. And instead, it should remind us that, that the reason we know that it's not always going to be this way is because a thousand years before Paul ever penned these words in Romans chapter 13, he, he, God made a promise and God made a promise in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And listen what, the, what God promised. He, he promised that to us a child would be born, and to us a son would be given, and that the government would be upon his shoulder, and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then he says this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the Lord of hosts did this, right? Because a thousand years after he made this promise, that son that was promised, like he was born. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus came into this world to usher in a better government and a better kingdom than all the governments and all the kingdoms in this world. And the way that he ushered it in wasn't by political campaigns, presidential debates, or storming the capital. Instead, the way that he ushered in this kingdom and is ushering in this kingdom is through dying on a cross. And taking the judgment and the punishment that every evildoer deserves upon himself in their place for those who would place their faith and trust him. But catch this. He didn't stay dead. Instead, three days later, he rose back to life. He ascended to heaven where he sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty on the throne, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that's where he is right now. He's sitting there. And you know what he's doing? He's not just twiddling his thumbs, but he's sitting there reigning and ruling over all the earthly governments and over all the other earthly kingdoms and authorities in this world. But guess what? He's not going to stay there forever. Instead, one day he's going to return back to this earth, and when he does, then this entire world is going to be transformed into a perfect kingdom, into a perfect government of peace and justice and righteousness forever and ever and ever. And every single person who has placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will dwell with him in it forever in a perfect government, in a perfect kingdom with perfect justice and perfect righteousness and perfect peace forever. And as Christians then, in the middle of of frustrations, in the middle of idolatry, of worshiping a government, in the middle of anger, in the middle of of all these things that we've experienced over the, the number of years with the imperfect fallen government in which we live, we can take hope that there is coming a day in which that perfect government, that perfect kingdom will be restored in this earth and we will live in it forever. So, yes, let's, let's submit to the government as God's servant. Let's pay taxes Let's honor and respect governing authorities that God has placed over us. But let's not worship the government. Instead, let's worship King Jesus and long for the better, perfect kingdom that he is going to ultimately bring. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for this hard text in the cultural moment in which we find ourselves and have found ourselves in. And so, God, we pray. Uh, that you would help us to have a right view and understanding of government and why even the government exists in the first place. And let us not put on the government um, expectations that you never intended the government to bear. And so, Lord, I, I pray for that. Lord, help us to relate to the government with a proper heart posture. Lord, help us to be submissive. Lord, help us to pay our taxes. Help us to be honoring and respectful. But at the same time, let's, let, help us not to worship the government. But Lord, help us to long for and eagerly expect the coming of King Jesus to restore the perfect government, perfect kingdom here in this world. And the reality of that future day that is to come in which King Jesus will do that, I pray then that it would radically change and affect then how we go about relating to the government, 
in the here and now. And so, Lord, we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.